Welcome, welcome everyone to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner, and in today's episode, I'm sitting down with local San Diego trail runner, run coach, sports massage therapist, and fellow podcaster. He shares a great story of overcoming adversity as a child into how his own run coach and massage therapy business started. So I can't wait for you guys to listen in. So my next guest, Mark Shimon. Well, help me turn the turn in. Well, help me get it right. I don't want to hurt nobody. Well, I don't want to fight. Well, offer me the peace of mind. Mark, what's up, man? How you doing? Jeff, good to see you, man. Thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, no worries. It's it's been a few weeks since uh, since I was on your show, so we'll 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 get into that in a little bit. But uh, I, I appreciate you being here and and uh, sharing your story today. Um, you know, you and I really just started connecting over the last couple of weeks, so it's been really cool to have these opportunities to talk to you and learn more about you as uh, as as our relationship has kind of grown a little bit. And I really have found your story quite interesting as I've done some research and looked on your website and everything, how you started into, into the sport and where you are now with your coaching and, and your sports massage. So to get started with it, there was a really cool thing that, that popped up on your website that I had never heard of. And I was asking about this prior to, but you were diagnosed at six months of age with uh, failure to thrive. Can you explain that to the listeners? Because I'm sure that there's a bunch of people who don't even know what that is. So failure to thrive, think of it as a big umbrella statement of, for doctors saying, I don't know what the heck is wrong with this young baby, but for now, we're going to categorize it as this as we're working towards the steps of figuring out what is wrong. At that point of six months of age, or I think even before that, my parents realized I wasn't getting weight. I was throwing up food. Some of my the cognitive abilities were a little bit less compared to other kids my exact age. And so they're trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? He's throwing up food. He's not getting weight. He's, he's observant, but there's a little bit of a slowness. So eventually they're doing, taking me to various doctors, getting blood tests. And actually an interesting story is being observant is going to San Francisco. I grew up in the Bay area. We'd go to UCSF, I'd go get tests. And they distinctly tell me these stories where anytime we'd go through the rainbow tunnel in Marin headlands that overlooks Golden Gate bridge, I would start crying because for me, I associated that with going to the doctor's office doctor's office associate that with pain and discomfort. And they even said there was one point where we were going to, I think a zoo or some other thing. And I was in my mind thinking, oh, I'm going to the doctor's office, going to, uh, this is very young, be barely able to articulate words. But as soon as we passed the turnoff for it, I stopped crying because I realized we're going somewhere else. And so the observation skills, while maybe I wasn't functioning physically, my eyes were trained and I was able to recognize patterns and start doing that. So while people might see failure to thrive as a handicap or hey, it's a struggle, uh, even at a young age, I was, I was leaning into, okay, what can I see? What can I observe? And I think that's parlayed into what I do today. So how do you get out of that failure to thrive, you know, as you, as you grow up? I mean, is that, is this just kind of a late development 
um, type of thing? Or, I mean, how does that, how does that work? I guess. So I'm not too familiar with like how they say, Oh, you know, if you're in failure to thrive, when you're considered not in the failure to thrive category for me specifically, they found out that I had a mitochondrial abnormality. So for those who aren't familiar with biology, mitochondria are a small part in your, each of your cells that helps process energy. So when you eat food, your body processes it, but it's got to turn it into ATP. Mitochondria is that bridge that crosses food and to energy that your body can use to function, whether it's running, walking, speaking, any physical activity, your body's going to need ATP. So part of that was the mitochondria wasn't working. I also had renal issues, so kidney issues. So eventually they figure out I need to take supplements of CoQ10 and sodium bicarbonate. And for those of you who have never had sodium bicarbonate, it is very salty. And so to help kind of take it down as a young kid, my parents would have poured in milk because I'd be drinking milk as a kid. Eventually, as I got older, kind of like 10, 11, 12, I'm like, I'm tired of drinking all this milk. And so eventually I just start taking as a shot, just like throwing it back, chugging it down, (laughs) just getting through the bitterness of, especially when I go to summer camps and I'm like, I don't want to be at the medical station, just that. I'm like, all right, just give me a cup. Boom. Just chug that sucker back. Eventually... I kind of stopped taking some of those supplements on my own. As I know the sodium bicarbonate, they were testing me, doing blood tests as I got older. Said, hey, you don't need to take it. Your body is producing enough as it is. So you're good there. The CoQ10, I kind of stopped taking myself just in my mind. I'm like, I don't want to be taking supplements and medications. What I, in my mind was a medication. But as I'm getting older, I'm realizing, hey, that CoQ10 thing, it's kind of a key ingredient for transferring food and energy. And being an athlete, I need to take better <laughs> care of myself. So now I'm, I'm bringing that back into my rotation. Full circle, man, full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so you grew up in, so you, as you stated, you grew up in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, Marin County, actually, I believe. So what got you into... Uh, running cross country and track in high school. What what was what brought you to that sport? Interesting enough, as I'm going through the the process of trying to figure out what's going on, we lived at the time in Westmore County, which is very somewhat rural and so outdoors. So we'd be biking a lot, hiking, various things. My dad, at, when we were super young, would take me and my older brother on these short one to two mile runs on a local trail nearby the house where we lived at. And so I I knew there was this running thing, and then I got into baseball. Fast forward to Uh, I think it was like my fourth grade year. My brother's four years older than me. He's eighth grade and my parents made him do a sport. He's not the athletic one. I'm the athletic guy in the family. So my parents like, Steve, you got to do a sport. It's like, all right, fine. I'll I'll do this thing called cross country. Like, okay. Being the younger brother, my mom brings me along because she's not going to pay for a babysitter. She's like, ah, whatever. He'll, I'll just along, whatever. <laughs> so as a fourth grader, I'm going to these meets and I'm seeing all these big older kids, guys and gals running and they're crossing finish line, just super fatigued. You see the redness on their face. And I was thinking back in my mind, I'm like, I think I could do this. Cause in, in elementary school, I started kind of getting stronger and finding out, okay, I do have some athletic ability and quick reflexes. So seeing these races and back in my mind, I'm like, okay, when I get to middle school, I'm going to do these races. So sixth grade year, I go out for the cross country team. We're racing anywhere from mile 0.4, maybe mile and a half up to two miles. And a lot of fun by my eighth grade year, I actually got up to top 15 in the County. And from somebody from my background, I was like, I didn't even think about it. I was like, Hey, I'm just out here putting the work and made top 15. Eventually after that high school came around freshman year, we do the freshman orientation of buddies like, Hey dude, you come out for the high school team. He had an older brother connected and I'm like, yeah, when's practice. And granted, I hadn't run a mile at that whole summer. <laughs> first, first day of practice, he's like, hey, we're meeting here at this time. Cool, I'll show up. 
I'm, I'm dumb. I'm ignorant. I'm like, I'll, I can do anything. I'm, I'm invincible. First day of you know, <laughs> practice, we run seven miles. I got torched. My body's just all sore. And it just, I was running at the very back of the pack. The assistant coach, he's acting as a sweeper. And I remember he told me like, yeah, I didn't know if you were going to make it on that run. I was just like, it happens. And I remember that distinctly that freshman year, I ended up losing four toenails, to, uh, bo- both on the second and third toe on both foot. And so for most of my runs before, before running, I'd get the little athletic tape, wrap it around my, all my toenails just to give that little extra support. And I made it through, but I think even then some of my toenails haven't fully grown back ever. And that was God over 15 years ago. So (laughs) if you lose toenails, you may come back, you may not, but at the end of the day, if you think about toenails, I think you're doing okay in life. So the, you got through high school and, and didn't, didn't lose any more toenails there. You got into, into college, you, you ran in college. You ran, you, that brought you down here to San Diego area, to Cal State San Marcos, correct? So what were you, what was your specialty at Cal State? So I would say before we jump into the specialty, there's an, a story going into me making the oh. team. Oh, I like that. Let's so, just do it. <laughs> so fresh, going into my freshman year of college, the coach gave us a summer training plan like, hey, we got these miles. There's also a team time trial for the men. We have to race eight miles and be under, what was it? For yeah, be under 48 minutes, so six minute pace. With all the training at high school, I think the most every day was maybe 30 miles a week, and the training plan was anywhere from like 50 to 60. And so, as a as a young unknown kid, I'm like, oh, I, I'm just gonna grind. I'm gonna grind. I eventually got some really bad shin splints and shin pain. And August rolls around. I'm having to run too much because I had to take some time off, and the shins are there, but. I'm going to do this time trial. I'm going to make the team. It may suck. It may not be my best ever, but I'm going to be there. I'm going to just throw my name in the hat. Do the time trial. Come in dead last for the guys. I think my final time was like about an hour, which I think was like 730 pace, which isn't bad. But in terms of the college level, it's a whole different ball game where guys are, the average is six minute pace and they're crushing. Like some guys are finishing 44 minutes, 45 minutes, and they're, they're long gone from me. Going through those injuries that freshman year, I tried to train, got the shins healthy, but then my calves still really locked up and I actually jacked up my Achilles so bad. They put me in a walking boot around December that freshman year. And I'd, I'd stopped going to the team practices. Just I was trying to figure out, okay, what's it like living on my own, college, college classes, that whole nine yards. Well, technically I was part of the cross country roster come spring semester, they dropped me from the track roster and they said, Hey, you know, we didn't know if you're coming back or not. We had to drop you due to numbers. I was like, cool. Hey, I totally get it. Respect it. No hard foul, no harm, no hard feelings. I get it. But the part of me was like, okay, I'm here in San Diego. I have this grant. I'm not on the roster, but I have an opportunity to learn. So I asked the coach, Hey, can I be a volunteer assistant or somehow be a way to be connected to the team? So he got me through the paperwork, volunteer assistants. I'd show up once a week, helping with track workouts, keeping track of splits or anything else, along with going to, to the meet, supporting the teammates, taking photos, videos, and just acting as a impromptu social media guy. I put it all on mm-hmm. Facebook albums and then try to tag people I knew. And be like, oh yeah, thanks for the photos. And I was like, okay, I, I did something to help that team. For my sophomore year, going in that summer training, I had a way better program and just my legs were healthy. I was doing weight training. Going into the time trial, I finished, I think it was like 48... Yeah, it's like 48, under 49 minutes, like a little over the six minute barrier, but it was enough where like, hey, you put in the training, we're going to take you up to the elevation camp for Mammoth, which was about a week in late August. 
So okay. go through that, make make the cross country roster, do the track roster thing. So I ended up doing two years of the cross country on the team there, four years of track. And for track, my specialty was 800 meters and 1500 meters. I dabbled in a couple 3Ks, one 5K and one 10K on the track, but mm. I really enjoy the speed and the tactics in the 800 and the 1500. So I, I, what's... Uh... You got done with you get done because you you were at Cal State the entire the entire time, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so you get done, and one of the, the cool things that I've I've found out about is you were actually a USA Paralympic team guide runner. Was that like a like just after post college, or was that as you got into the the, the coaching side of things? That was right after college. So uh, one of my other teammates, Jay Slade, he had graduated, or I think he was out of eligibility, but he is a sprinter. And they he got connected with the U.S. Olympic Training Center down in Chula Vista, working with some high-level blind athletes who are phenomenal sprinters. So I knew that was a thing. And I saw those photos, saw those posts. I'm like, man, that looks super rad. Like, I would right. love to do that. So I, I reached out to Jay. I'm like, hey, who do I need to talk to? He's like, oh, yeah, I talked to Joaquin Cruz, who at the time, I don't know if he still is, but he's one of the coaches down there. So I reached out to him, said to me, hey, my name is Mark Shimon, background in college, this, this, this. Would love to help out. Let me know if I can help you. Radio silence, send another email, radio silence. Eventually, hey, I, I think I got somebody for you. And so he connects me with this one athlete who was at the time was living in Philadelphia. She was going to come out here, here and there, but he's like, hey, in the meantime, I got some sprinters who are doing some easier work. Would you mind coming down for that? I'm like, sure. So September of 2013, after I graduated college, I started going down to Chula Vista from Escondido doing some speed workouts, like once or twice, like once a week, helping them out. And what's rad about being a guide runner is when you're in sync with them is if the left arm goes for me, the right arm goes for them. So you're almost mirroring each other. Oh, that's cool. At first it's awkward trying to get that pattern down, but (laughs) when you get that rhythm, I haven't found any other feeling that connects to it. It's really hard to describe unless you've done it, you can connect to it. And I'm sure other guides can talk about this, but it's super cool when you're just in flow state working together and you're working towards the same goal. And so I did that for a couple months and then I forget what happened. I think the athlete either changed guides or something, or they just, they stopped communicating with him and like, all right, well, I'm going to focus on on where I was working. I was working at sports authority at the time when they were still a company, but then I was thinking, okay, what else am I going to do? And that's how I got involved into the massage school. So I know there's another story involved there, but I'll take it one piece at a time. Yeah. So um, I've now I've seen on, like at some of our, at the trail races I've been, I've been at and and, uh, organized, I have seen uh, blind runners with guides and it's always from my recollection, it was the guide was always in front leading the way. Is it the same way in like on track or is it a side by side situation? For track, they they have to be side by side. And actually, if the guide runner is in front of the athlete, that blind the blind athlete will be disqualified if they cross the finish oh. line. So it's it's such a weird thing where the guide is running hard. They're trying to push their athlete. Come on, come on. I mean, at the very last second, the guide has to stop and, and make sure the athlete crosses the finish line first. So in oh. terms of track, and I believe, I want to say that's same thing for road racing. Trail running, I know it's a little different because you need somebody yeah. to call up, whether it's, hey, tree root, rock, yeah. left turn, right turn. And also if it's single track, you don't have enough space to go shoulder to shoulder. But yeah. yeah, there is a difference between the two. I, I guess I had never even considered that. Like you, yeah, you definitely need the, that athlete to cross 
to cross first. So running in front just doesn't work. Like how long from, from your, just your personal, obviously, because every athlete and every guide is different, right. And how you work with it. How long did it take you to get into sync with the athlete you were working with? So I, I only worked with two athletes during my time there with the first athlete, the sprinter, it took a couple reps, but usually the first couple times it's a little hanky or just, okay, my arm's going this way, his arm's there, but you've practiced enough. You get enough time. You eventually start getting a sink. So it, uh-huh. some people it's, I don't know if it's a natural ability or talent or just once you get into the flow, then it just happens kind of like riding a bike. Once you are able to ride a bike, you're like, Oh, I got this. I, want to say it might be the same thing with guide running, but I have limited experience. And then with the second athlete, because she was more distance running, I didn't have to worry about the arm swing because she act, at the time had a unique tether where she would tether at the waist. So I didn't have to worry about the arm swing. I just had to make sure the tether was close enough where if she needed, if she was going too far towards the inside of the track, I could kind of pull the tether outside. Okay. So she wouldn't cut in too early, but with the arm swing, it's a little bit different. So yeah, there's different tethers, but yeah, the distance runner with the waist tether, super easy. I'm like, man, give me this tether <laughs> any day of the week, <laughs> but at the same time, the hand tether and they would actually do like a shoestring and you wrap around the, usually the index and middle finger as the, yeah. as the connection pieces. But yeah, it's definitely two different things. But I think right now, if I remember right, the waist tether, they technically outlawed it or they're not making it legal for track races, if I remember right. So, and maybe you don't know this question, but a blind athlete and their guide make it to the Paralympics. Does the guide get a medal if they if they medal out? How does that work? Is that is that true? So at one point, there was a discrepancy where only the athlete would get the medal. But I believe yeah. starting in the London Olympics in 2012, that's where both the athlete and the guide were given medals because they're like, hey, the guide is still out there working yeah. hard and working putting their in tail the time. Off. Yeah. I mean, it's probably one of the selfless things anybody could do as an athlete is you're showing it for somebody else and possibly you're not running at your full potential. You're focused on getting that person to the PR or the podium or whatever they're chasing. You're there for them. You're not there for your own glory. So I believe starting in 2012, they actually made that shift where both guide and athlete would get medals if they podium. Well, that's good. I I was always kind of curious about that. And I haven't seen enough of the Paralympics to know what the the rule was with that so um yeah if you're if you're putting in the effort man you <laughs> you should definitely have that opportunity as well all right so you get done with with being the guide runner and this leads you into some of the sports massage world how how is that transition uh working for you like how, how what what brought you into the sports massage so in college we on the distance side, we had a connection with Chris Harmon, phenomenal therapist, even greater human being. He's actually been on the podcast for struggle and victory, but he has a background in trigger point Ty, He was a phenomenal runner in his prime time too. So he had this great connection with Steve Scott. And so distance guys and gals, we'd go see him. He would get us ready. And sometimes he wouldn't even charge us. He's like, yeah, like, Hey, donation. Like I get your college students like super gracious within. And so really stoked to have him, but working with him, I saw there was a better way to work. And 
I felt I had a natural affinity for working on people during that freshman year when I was the volunteer assistant, especially during that track season, I was rolling out teammates with the stick, the foam roller. Cause I was like, okay, at the time they only had one athletic trainer for 200, 250 student athletes. One oh, guy wow. for that many athletes, <laughs> he's not going to get to see everybody. So right. especially on the track and cross country side, you would see guys and gals rolling each other out or doing stuff like that. So I saw it. I'm like, okay, if that's one way I can contribute to the team, cool. I'm going to do that. So I started doing it and I learned, I think I have something this where I could pinpoint where some of their tight spots were, roll it out. And I could also sense through the stick or the roller when it relaxed. Some people, they would just mash, mash, mash. and like, Hey, does it feel better? Uh, your, your awareness <laughs> did some work there, buddy. But, but for me, I, I found I, I had to knack for it. And eventually I got to a point where guys were hitting me up like, Hey dude, can you come over and work on me or roll me out? And I was like, sure, but what are you going to do for me? And so I ate pretty well during my college years, whether it's that's freshman year, sophomore, junior, senior, people would start coming to me. In between my fourth and fifth year of college, Chris uh, was doing a trigger point class at Healing Hands, the school I ended up going to. And I told him, hey, I'd love to learn from you when you teach. And he's like, oh, I'm doing this trigger point class. And I'm like, cool, I'll be there. Granted, I think he thought, oh, he's just saying it. He's he's not going to show up. Like everybody likes to say, hey, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then don't show up. Well, <laughs> yeah. for me, I'm a guy, if I say something, I'm going to go do it. So I find out the information, sign up for the class. I show up on the day and he looks at me like, dude, you're here. I'm like, I told you I'd be here. And so that summer I got fully involved into the massage community, working his style of trigger point. It's like Thai trigger point, some sports massage everything blended together, but the people I got to work with and re recognizing, Hey, they're in school. I've got this natural thing. And people tell me like, yeah, you like you, you've got something. I'm like, okay, back in my mind when I graduate college, maybe this massage thing might still be available. Fast forward to 2014 after, after being released from the guide running, I was like, okay, what am I doing with my life? And they're like, Hey, let me talk to Chris, so I call him up I'm like, Hey, I'm thinking about this. What's your recommendations? And he's like, Hey, you know, for your kind of work and your kind of athlete, go sports massage, focus on trigger point, tie, PNF stretching, all this. I'm like, cool, done. So I enrolled at healing hands up in Escondido, go through their 500 hour program at the time, California state requirements was 500 hours of instruction time. I think I ended up with like 600, 625, just a little bonus for me, just classes I wanted to take. Got the cert and began working as a massage therapist, working for a massage franchise. Then I transferred over to a PT clinic, which I worked at for several years. And now I'm 100% independent with my own business. Wow, man. That's awesome. Um, and then you you work, is there any particular type of athlete do you, do you work with? Or is it uh, you just work with a lot of runners at this point? I'm open to whoever I'll see. I know runners. So I, I'll tell my services or people like, Hey, I got this. I'm like, Hey, mind if I jump, drop some two cents on you? And people's like, Oh yeah. And so I'll point, point things out for them. So I work with a lot of runners, but I also work with soccer athletes, triathlons to, I have uh, one dancer I've been working with on a regular basis. So I'm open to working with anybody. The key thing is if you're active and you got that right mentality, awesome. Or if, Hey, my shoulder's jacked up, I need specific work. 
cool, let's address that. Let's look at the front, the side, the back piece of it. Is it the subscap? Looking at everything from a 3D approach. I'm not your typical spa style, like, oh, I'm going to go see Mark. It's going to be nice and relaxing and flute music and essential oils. I'm like, no, no, no. We're doing work, son. We're going to get figure out what's going on. If I can't figure out, I'll see if I can guide you to somewhere else or maybe another resource. But for the most part, my, my goal is to get athletes and people out of pain, their muscles free and able to move. So some people are like, oh, you need a schedule. It's like, no, I want to do efficient work. And then there's always maintenance. Like I always tell my clients, at least once a month, maintenance is always a good practice. If you're training for race or intensity increases, then maybe look at once every two weeks. Or if you if you have the funds or you're really high intensity, once every week. So it just depends on the client and what their needs are. Is there a difference? I, I actually, I know that there's a difference. Um but what is the what would be the difference between like your trigger point sports massage and like your muscle activation techniques? Do you know the difference with that really? So the only thing I think is like muscle activation. I don't know if you're talking like PNF, the proprioception neuromuscular facilitation. Yeah. So yeah. with that example, if I'm using the arm, like I'll have them move a certain way, but I'm resisting them. So it's getting it to fire and, and get activated. And then I'll have them relax and then go into a stretch, kind of elongating it versus the trigger point hands-on work is I'm using my palms, my forearms, elbow, thumbs, whatever, Got it. and I'm addressing okay. specific things. So there's different styles of movement, but yeah. And it's funny with sports massage, people are like, Oh, I, I want a sports massage or a trigger point massage. Here's the secret all therapists are blending everything together. So it's not like, oh, specifically <laughs> it's this line of work. Yeah. For me personally, I blend so many things. I lose track. I'm like, wait, where did I learn this technique from? Or or the best part is I'll be working. I'm like, hey, might try this. And I get success with it. I'm like, cool, improvise and see it succeed. And that's how I create, create how I do my clients, work with my clients. So I felt weird as I said that. But anyways, how, <laughs> how I work with my clients is it's a mixture of knowledge along with the ability to improvise. Got it. <laughs> so doing all the, all the, you know, you got your own, own uh, sports massage business. How does, how does your, how does, uh, how do you find time to fit your coaching in and how many, how many athletes right now are you uh, working with from a, from a coach perspective? And I, I love your philosophy, by the way. Um, so if you could explain that a little bit, I, I, I love the way that it's, it's broken down on your website. Yeah. So for coaching, I currently working with four athletes and some of them are local San Diego. I actually have one athlete over in Ireland. So we're doing some telecommunications where we'll do zoom calls once every couple of weeks. I'm sending him weekly workouts in, in preparation. He actually has a different goal than most athletes I work with. He wants to do this rock adventure or, or something where it's a multi-day thing where he's out there roughing it. And, but he still wants to get some good miles. And I'm like, all right, let's figure this out. <laughs> for for my local San Diego athletes, it's a variation of some in-person stuff. Some athletes with what's going on currently, they don't feel comfortable doing face-to-face, -face, but it's a mixture of Zoom calls, text messages, phone calls, along with specifically for the training aspect is my goal is to help athletes improve, whether it's improving their stride, their PRs to their mental game, because I tell people running is 90% mental, 10% physical. If you're not good mentally, you could be the best and strongest athlete ever, but if you're not there mentally, you're going to crumble. Like you might be able to do well in one race or one week of training, but it's not sustainable with 
the actual way, way I break down workouts is I'd rather have athletes be slightly undertrained going into races versus, Oh dude, I crushed it. I did five weeks of uh, 80 mile weeks and I'm, I'm tired, but I can make it. And then they get to race day and they fall flat. So it's finding that balance of, okay, where can I push them enough where they're getting the benefit of the different workouts and the long runs and time on the feet, but not pushing them too hard where they're going to burn out or they get to race day. And like, I feel flat. I have no pop in my legs. I can't get the turnover and they don't have the race that they were hoping for. Now I, it should be noted that you're a USATF level one coach currently, but you're uh, you're working on level two right now. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So the way it works with USATF is they have the intro course. You go through that at the time I it was a, a two day thing over a weekend very hard intensive course whereas i think it was like from eight eight in the morning to like five or six in the afternoon i was down at san diego state and that's where i realized hey if i really love this sport i'm going to be able to survive those two days and the various things and the instructors i had at the time phenomenal guys and that's where i learned even like a sport we talked about high jump and relays i was all in on that i was like okay i do have this coaching aspect where i can pivot if i need to where granted i'm not a sprint specialist i'm not a relay specialist or jumper but i can appreciate what it takes and and understand the intri- uh, intricate intricacies of the sport. Yeah. wow I'm, I'm butchering some stuff today <laughs> but the intricacies of the sport and just appreciate what it takes to do so and uh, so yeah USATF so they have the course and then you they have a waiting period once you have a couple years of experience coaching athletes whether it's for a team privately for a high school college whatever and then you can apply for level two so right now I've signed up for the level two intro course which is their sports science workshop seminar so I gotta go I have to complete that which is Somewhat intensive, and they say like biology-based physio- physiological uh, evidence. So I got to take that first, and then I can apply for their level two course. How high up does the USATF uh, coaching levels get you? I mean, obviously you can get all the way up to your coaching Olympic athletes and everything else, but like from from just a, a coach perspective who's trying to do this as a side hustle, right, and help help out local athletes and everything else. Like, where where can you go as far as how high up? In terms of their certifications, I want to say I've seen like level three, level four. There might be a level five. I'm not not 100 percent, but I know level three. Excuse me, level three for 100 percent. And and then they also got specialties where like, hey, you're a, a distance specialist or you know level level one's distance or whatever. And they break it down where it's like, okay, level level one is think of it as the bachelor's program of USATF. And then if you go to level two, you're going events specific. So Hey, Got I'm going okay. level two for distance or I'm going level two for sprints or level two for jumps. So it. it's cool okay. how they break it down where level one, Hey, here's everything. There's like a general scope level two. That's where you get more specific. And then I'm not sure what level three is. I've heard people talk about it, but yeah, I'm a little flaky on those details, but I know there's some like, higher levels. Like a mythical creature. It just, it's people think it's there. You just don't know if it is. <laughs> it could be, it could be like the Loch Ness monster. Like look, the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> it's coming to get us like dude that's a shadow like no it's really there <laughs> so let's uh let's jump into some trail running really quick from an ultra perspective have you have you uh, completed any ultras recently on um, my birthday of 2020 i 
I turned 31 and I was like, okay, I want to do at least like a marathon. I, I was thinking, okay, I'll do the five peaks over at Mission Trails. But in back of my mind, I was playing like, how cool would it be to do a 50K on turning 31? I'm like, that's pretty mm. badass. Yeah, so there you go. I recruited uh, Marco Leve Rodriguez from Senior Trend Runners and South Bay Y along with Ryan Falomir. I'm like, hey guys, I'm, I'm thinking about doing like the five peaks, you know, trying to get a marathon thing. And so we meet a little up after 5 a.m. over at Bushy Hills Lane and we go start ascending towards cows and piles. And so we finished cows, we go finish piles, come back to cows, we're kind of chatting. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I kind of let him know, hey, this is my birthday. And and then on the way down, I look at Marco and apologies for the for the next words I'm about to say, but I'm like, Marco, hey, I'm doing fucking 50K. I'm, I'm in, let's fucking do this. He's like, oh shit, we're doing this. And he got it on video too. And at that point I was like, all right, I'm committed to it. So I ended up doing the Kwaipe, North and South Fortuna, and then finding extra miles to get to that 50K. And so a self-supported 50K, not in a race format. Right, right. So I've done the distance, but yeah, I think around mile... 20 yeah maybe like 22 23 i was dealing with some ankle issues like a couple weeks prior i twisted my ankle and was working through that and going through the 50k at mission trails rocky uneven surfaces my ankle locked up so a couple points where i'm just power hiking and marco's there like you good dude i'm like i'm in the pain cave hector and johnny we're we're in that pain (laughs) cave so when you talk to those guys it kind of inspired me like all right i'm doing a 50k and there's other things I, i love to do on my ultra list like example i read dean karnas's book uh, confessions of an all-night runner and hearing his stories about western faiths 100 to cal mm-hmm. the cal Stoga relay i was like man how cool would be to do 100 miles i'm like as a high school kid i'm like that sounds crazy but fun so that kind of tells you what kind of person i am where, where i see this crazy idea that most people with their right minds like no i'm not doing it i'm like oh yeah that sounds fun so i know i've got some <laughs> other things in the ultra world that i want to cross off the list but for the time being i'm also liking the speed stuff where that's 5k 10k half marathon yeah, yeah. that sort of thing yeah see that's the world i live in that's great i like to hear that <laughs> it, it is any crazy idea like obviously 100 but are you crazy enough to do the 200 stuff because that's that's what the is all the rage rage right now is the 200 sorry is that is that kind of maybe way far in the distance there that's a good question because now be careful because yeah. be, be careful because Hector will listen to this and he's uh-huh. gonna he's he's gonna drop in on you if if, uh, if you say too much. So exactly, I, I know Hector might may or may not be listening, but let's see if he is listening. I wouldn't say no, but I definitely I would I know I'd have to train up for it. Where I want to have a couple hundred miles under my belt, get used to that, and then mm-hmm. have a great train block going into it. Having my nutrition set up, having figure out my strength training, figuring out all, all those variables before I say, Hey, I'm going to commit to the 200, but I know yeah. knowing me, I probably won't say no if, if the opportunity arises and my, and my body's right. And I put in the preparation for it. Why not? It's like five or six days out, whether it's Moab or, or Washington yeah. or Tahoe, like I'm crazy enough to do some of the stuff I've already done. What's the, what's another couple hundred miles, right? So speaking of the Rodriguez brothers, uh, you actually had the opportunity, if I'm not mistaken, to crew for Johnny during his last man standing, his recent last man standing. Tell me a little bit about that and how that kind of, you know, shifts your mentality some, you know, like to the degree of like, oh my God, this is, this is a crazy thing that's going on here. Like, what were you doing as far as a crew goes for that? Yeah. So for those who've listened to the podcast is I've had, I've interviewed both Hector and Johnny. So I've been aware of stuff they've done and it, 
just have a really good relationship with Johnny. And he's like, Hey dude, I'm doing this for the last, the last cat or lone cactus race. I'm like, dude, I'll crew you. I'll help you. Cause originally he was going to do a hundred miler thing around either Hodges or mission trails. I told him, Hey dude, I'll be there to crew you. I'll help pace. I'll bring my massage table, like whatever, like we'll make it work. A couple weeks before that, he sent me text. Hey dude, I'm switching gears. I'm doing the lone cactus race. I'm like, okay, cool. I got you. So I show up to his house Saturday morning and it was funny with the time change of Arizona to California is I think it was around like 6 a.m. here. I'm like, okay, cool. Hey, I'm going to start heading up. And he calls me like, dude, uh, Arizona time change. Like I'm actually going to start pretty soon. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I'll see you about an hour after you're already in. So drive up to his place at, at the time in Temecula, set up the table and we're doing our thing. Hector's there. And so there's food on the table. So my job was just like, okay, as the being the massage therapist helping with, you know, hey, you need some food. Cool. I got you. Walk, grab it from the kitchen, bring it over to him on the treadmill, but just being there. Where I earned my money, and granted, he didn't pay me, but where I earned the money. <laughs> after 50K, he started talking like, ah, oh, my knee's kind of locking up. So I'm like, hey, dude, get on the table, start working on him. And basically, at, after every hour from basically 50K on, I was working that that knee, that quad area, and just keeping him in the fight. And he ended up going another 70, 75 miles wow. on a knee. So that's a testament to Johnny, his high pain tolerance. Obviously, for those who followed him, for the Vegas thing that he did recently where he did the 48-hour challenge, his, <laughs> yeah, know, if you've right? seen the photos, his foot ballooned up. And he still kept pricing. I think he still got like 94, 95 miles, like something ridiculous for a guy who was on a bad foot. And I'm pretty sure in some pretty serious pain. But going back to the the lone cactus race. So I got, I've got the massage table. I'm there just for moral support. And I remember there's one point, I think it was around like the 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. hour. He's on the treadmill. He's doing thing. I'm like, the caffeine was starting to wear off on me. I'm not a coffee drinker. And so I, I drank some just to be going. And then like 3 a.m. like, you know what? I, I need a little nap. So I found a chair. I slouched in it, closed my eyes. I'm out cold. Like you could like tap me or yell my name. I've been like, nope, not answering. Right. And then I wake up just naturally. I wake up and I look at my watch and it's like, Hey, it's around the, you know, the 40 minute marker of the hour. And he's about to wrap up. I'm like, perfect timing. So as a mixture of falling asleep, waking up without help, having to be awoken and then jumping right back to working on that knee and keeping him in the fight for his fifth place overall finish at that race. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, you we you talked about your you mentioned your your podcast struggle in, in victory. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about how that kind of came about and what what kind of drove your your mentality of hey, I think I can do this. I want to I want to I want to try it out. Let's let's see what happens. How, where, how did that start? So the probably the two years previously before I dropped the podcast is I worked with two other individuals. We were going to start our own podcast. It was a mixture of conversation, looking at various topics. And I love talking with people and going in depth and having a stronger connection and really exploring stuff. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out working those individuals. Like we'd schedule stuff, we'd have one or two episodes and then it fills it out like, hey, I can't make it this day. Let's reschedule. Oh, I can't make it this day. And eventually just it didn't work. So I always knew in the back of my head, hey, I want to do this podcasting because I felt I had unfinished business doing that. Fast forward to September of 2020 with Enrique and Ciso doing his 100 miler out at Mission Trails on arguably the hottest week in, in 2020's history. <laughs> and so I was out there. I, I helped paste him for a couple of rounds. I was crewing him, helping him on the massage side, just keeping him in the fight, whatever I could do to help. 
at the time, Carl Manley was also splicing together all this footage of photos and videos of Car of Enrique's Hunter Myler, and he was going to create a documentary, which he ended up doing. So knowing Carl was going to do that, I thought, hey, let me interview Enrique, help maybe with some of the audio. We can get grab an interview or get a little piece of a clip. Carl can use that in the documentary, help him out. So I record with Enrique, we set up a time and I'm asking him questions and I'm just, it's flowing naturally. I'm like, okay, this is pretty good. Send it over to Carl. He he ends up not using it. So Carl, no no, uh, no shade. Like, hey, I get it, creative choices. So I'm not, not mad at you, bro. And so, but I'm sitting on this content. I'm like, man, I really want to do something with it. So I was like, okay, I want to do it as a podcast. And so I was thinking, what can I do to, to create a name? And so I was playing around with the name. I'm like, okay, I want to play with like struggling victory or something talking about, hey, there's a challenge, you got to overcome it, but there's a victory and there's a win at the end. So eventually I was going struggling victory. And then it hit me. It's like, what if it was the, the struggle in victory? And that's when I had the light bulb. I'm like, ooh, I like that. <laughs> and so Enrique was my first guest and the intention was highlighting people who overcome challenges, whether it's their athletic world or personal lives. And I want to be able to share those stories with people and be able to interview and, and make them look good. We're like, Hey, here's an amazing story. And they're not like anybody else. They're not somebody on a pedestal. They can do stuff. They put in ridiculous amount of work and effort and persistence. And this is where they are now. And so those are the stories I love to share on the podcast. And it's pretty, it's pretty well you know, publicized, right? So you can find it you know, pretty much anywhere. For the most part. Yeah. It's like, I, uh, yeah, recently I've been talking with you. I know we were talking about Amazon and Audible. I'm like, what? You can put it on there. And so I recently put it on those markets, but Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, Castbox, yeah, Castbox are like, yeah, I know there's various other ones. There's like listen notes. So there's, it's interesting. Sometimes like I'll just search the podcast, see which platform has it. And there'll be platforms I never even heard of. I'm like, all right, cool. Oh, you I guys know, picked right? it up. So thanks. There, there uh, are more and more just keep popping up. And and for some reason, yeah, you're right. It just, they pick it up and, and I know I've, I've found mine on some other, some other, you know, streaming channels. And I'm like, I don't, I know I didn't apply for this. This is great. Good. For, thanks guys. <laughs> so, um, last and final question for you. Um, and I, I love asking this question cause I love to see where, uh, everybody's at, you know, and, and cause 2020 really showed people how to pivot, come up with new ideas and new ways to, you know, survive and what, what was going on last year. What is next for you? Whether that, whether that means, you know, from the work, you know, in massage or if it's, you know, on the trails, whatever it is, what's next for you? So uh, make sure I feel to fully justified. I need to break it down into very segments because in my life, yeah, man, I feel go like I, I've got my hand in so many arenas. So I'll, I'll break it down into a couple yeah. of areas on the massage side. Um, I'm building, I actually moved to a new location at in Del Mar that overlooks Torrey Pines. So stoked to have that and be able to Sweet. see clients there. So building that clientele list and working with athletes or people who've got specific issues, hit me up. I'm more than happy to work with you on that. On the coaching side, working with runners who are either looking to PR, whether it's 5k, 10k marathon to, Hey, I just want to be a better runner. Like I want to enjoy the process of training. And even if they don't want to race, but they want to get better. And as long as it's, as long as it's a good fit between myself and them more than happy to work with them. And with the podcast, I'm continuing, I'm wanting to grow it, just getting more guests on and sharing amazing stories. So that's another goal I'm working towards for my own running side. I actually have a couple races lined up for late summer, early fall. So for those in the San Diego area, or if you're in Southern California, 
If you're not aware, there is a race called Baby Badwater, which is held the first <laughs> weekend in August. And this is a, a great creation from one Mr. Daniel Smith. Shout and out to the Godfather. <laughs> shout out to the Godfather. And what it is, is it's a mixture. It's either a 10K or a half marathon. I put in air quotes because the distances, it may or may not be that distance. I'll just throw it out there. With that, it's it's a desert race and a lot of fun out there. It's, you know, if you're going there for a fast time, that's not the place to do it. If you're there for a good challenge and amazing people, recommend it. So I've got that on my bucket list or bucket list or schedule for, for August. And let's see, tentatively... Yeah, there's another race, but I, it's kind of underground, so I'm, I'm hesitant to see it right now, but there could be something <laughs> in the works around that time frame too. So there's yeah. something there. If, if I get the invite there or the way it's seen, then I might promote it, but it is an underground thing. The next race after that is the Surf City Half Marathon, which originally was scheduled for February of 2021. It, they moved it to September 11th of, of this year, and I'm looking to go after the, my 120 PR there and that's a great course to do it on. I hope there's definitely. Be a fast people who show up. I was looking over past results who were in years prior where the top 30 people, everybody's under 120. I'm like, man, if I can just get in a good pack, have a great training session and block going into it, I think I have a good shot of going under 120 and, and shattering that PR. After that, going back to my trail routes, the Dipsy Trail Race took a hiatus in 2020. They postponed it from their usual date in the second Sunday of June. They now have it scheduled for November 7th. So I have that on the books. I haven't signed up for it yet because they haven't released the registration, but I have invite status from the from the 2019 year. So I'm going to utilize that and go after my 13th uh, finish at that trail. And for those who aren't familiar with the Dipsy race, it's a seven mile choice from Mill Valley to Stinson Beach. The first mile, the race directors really love you. They put you through the paces of going up 600 plus stairs and like, Hey, you're going to go up that in the first mile. Like what? Oh, and so, yeah, that, that's just going through the neighborhood. You got ups and downs and, but a fun course, they have handicap starts. So somebody, my age and gender, I start, or for the longest time I was starting at scratch, which is dead last. And people who are like 60 and up or 65 and up, they have a 25 minute head start. So there's handicap starts based off age and gender, which makes the race unique versus, hey, everybody starts at once. Mm -hmm. And then all the rabbits will take off. And then the people who are older, they're like, well, this is fun. But I always get last at that race. There's been guys and gals who are like 65, 70 who are winning the race because the race format is, hey, first of the beach wins. So it's a unique thing. So the guys in, in in my field we're chasing. So we got to put in an extraordinary effort to catch all these people. And while I may not win or this and that, I love that challenge of navigating the course, there's shortcuts involved and just that whole culture of the race. Plus it's the oldest trail race in America. And I, I love the history and oh, that's cool. context with it. Wow, man. Well, good luck and best, best wishes to everything that you listed there. I think it's uh, it's really cool that you know, you're, you're tapped into so many different areas that it's awesome. It shows, shows how much of a hard worker you actually are. So, um, all right, Mark, well, I'll let you go, man. I, I really appreciate it and sharing your story and, and for us to continue, you know, getting connected and everything else. So I'll, I'll definitely see you out on the, on the trails and at some of our, you know, local group runs here, um, you know, it's coming soon. Awesome, man. And thank you for everything you're doing with ERS and hopefully in most of my schedule, I'll throw this out there is for me, one, when I race, I take my racing seriously. So 
if, when it lines up with my schedule to jump in with ERS, I would love to test, test out some of your races and see what I can do out there too. So be on the lookout for, for me when I register for some of those. All right, man. Well, we'd love to have you. So, all right, brother, we'll, uh, we'll catch you later. Sounds good. Later, Jeff. that'll do it for another episode of the trail life podcast special shout out to mark shimon for joining me today and what an amazing story coming from childhood adversity all the way up to owning your own coaching and sports massage business and having a great podcast you know he shares his struggles with his childhood into his athletic background into now his business background and and so his podcast if you get a really get a chance to listen to it struggle and victory he talks to a lot of great individuals about how they've overcome their adversity into where they stand today and and how how that's changed their lives. So it's always great to share those stories and hear those um, successes from everybody. And, and Mark is no different. So um, I thank him uh, a lot for, for joining me on the show. And, and I look forward to further conversations with him and other, other individuals in the, in the running community. But until then, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you on the trails real soon.